Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place where we surrender. We surrender to the new names and the new things that you want to do in our lives. God, we agree by faith that 2017 is going to be the greatest year that we have ever had as a ministry, as a spiritual family. We believe every campus is going to explode in growth. There are going to be more campuses and more people. We believe that you are going to save and that you're going to heal. But Lord, in this hour, we have come to gather in your house. We believe that you have already flooded this place. And so, God, now we are open to all that you want to do and say, have your way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, come on, give him a shout as you take a seat. Well, the last message in our series that we've entitled called Out, the theme of this year is what God calls you, calls you out. So we welcome all of our campuses. Thrilled to have you. God behind bars, we love you guys. Next month will be a one-year anniversary. We'll be celebrating that at our Bledsoe campus. But for all of our campuses, we love you guys. We're excited about what God is doing. Just excited. I believe today will be a record attendance, and then I think next weekend at the Super Bowl and the preach-off will be another record attendance. I believe that God is moving and doing a great thing. Do y'all believe that? Say amen. Now, if you're, you're brand new, this is your first time, you haven't got a copy of the book that I wrote for the church this year, if you'll pick it up at any resource center at any of our campuses, it's called out. It's 31-day devotion to help you develop character and develop a name, a great name. And so uh, grab one of those and go back and listen to the messages. I believe that it will help you. And we are praying right now for the spirit of the momentum of God. I pray every day, Lord, as faith promise unfurls her sails, that you will fill us with the Holy Spirit, that the, just the, the Holy Spirit power would, would take us just literally off the map into new areas and new places and new ways to do ministry. So I'm praying for 850 people to give their heart to Jesus and follow him in believers' baptism this year. Can it happen? So this is what I want to, I really want to challenge you in this. And that January is a great momentum building month. It, it is great. The reason we did Super Bowl preach off because it, it tends to, to taper off during, on Super Bowl Sunday and then flatten out in February. But the book of Proverbs, God says, for a lack of wood, the fire goes out. And what we tend to do, because we have such momentum right now, uh, uh, because God is doing such a work, we, we tend to then back off. Okay, man, it's good. We've ramped up for January, now I can sort of coast. But when the fire is blazing the hottest and the hottest, that's when you keep chunking logs on the fire. Are you with me? And so let's keep inviting. Let's make January be a greater, I mean, February be a greater month than January. And let's just, let's roll all the way into Easter with the greatest momentum that we have ever had. And I'm just believing God's going to do the greatest things he's ever done. Y'all agree with that? So it's time to invite. Now, again, we are right on track. We, saw, we, we said in 2000 that this would be the decade of dreams, that we would reach 10,000 people. We were running a little less than 3,000, and we averaged last year 7,000. And we are on our, right on track to reach 10,000 people. I believe we're going to hammer that. Can, is our God able to pull that out? Can we still? So together, together we're going to move through because God is doing a work here. Then we're the 12th fastest growing church last year in the United States, and people are looking, they're watching uh, our services. People of other churches are coming, and they're saying, hey, can you help us? And, and so God has given us a lot of favor. And where, who, where, where God gives a lot, a lot is required. Amen? And so let's all ramp up in every way that we can ramp up. Our theme for the year is Proverbs 22.1. 
A good name is to be desired above great wealth and favor above silver and gold. And so as, as we move on, that's our theme for this year. And again, what, what God calls you, your name calls you out. So my question is this. This was very simple. This weekend, I want to talk to you, to all you saints and all you disciples of Jesus and some of you that are moving toward becoming Christ followers is this. Do you know what you want? Do you know what name that you like to be called? Do you know what you want your character to reflect? Do you know what you want your reputation to reflect? Do you know, you know, again, Daniel, the angel shows up, says, Daniel, man of high or great esteem. So what would the angel call you? Does this make sense? You got to know what you want. Or, or, is, or, or is that it? So we've got we've to work toward the character that we want to develop. So what I want to do, and we rarely use a video this long, but this is so good. I want you to watch a man who decided no matter what, he was going to fight for his character and fight for his name. Prison time, you're in a box. Every second, every day, every year, every decade, there's no hope. No matter what you accomplish in there, no matter what you do in there, you're still in that box. In 1983, Dewey Bozella arrived at Sing Sing Maximum Security Prison, a broken and bitter man. Life had hardly been fair to him. As a nine-year-old boy in Brooklyn, New York, he'd watched his father beat his mother to death. A few years later, it was his brother, stabbed and killed in a fight. At 17, Dewey moved upstate to the small city of Poughkeepsie to get away and find a better life. A few months after he arrived, he was arrested for the murder of a 92-year-old woman. The only evidence against him was a couple of local criminals who swore he did it. But Dewey Bozella got 20 years to life. He spent his first few years behind bars, angry and isolated. Then he discovered the prison boxing program. It was in this unlikely sanctuary of serenity that Dewey found hope. The whole boxing, my life, boxing is what saved me. Boxing deals with morals, obligations, and responsibilities. And the main thing is discipline. It helped me to find that freedom I needed. That was my peace. In the ring, life made sense, and Dewey's talent was unmistakable. He became the prison's undefeated light heavyweight champion. So impressive were his skills that a special fight was scheduled at Sing Sing against New York City's Golden Gloves champ, Lou DeVal. It was one of those fights. It was, it was a war. I hit him with a good body punch. I thought I had him. He's one of those guys who just kept picking. He hit me with a three-punch combination. Blood just came straight down, just like that. The fight was stopped. I was the lucky one, because if I would've got cut, he would've probably won. I walked out of Sing Sing with like, <sighs> dodged a bullet. What I loved about it, even though it was a loss, was the fact that he's the first man to knock down Roy Jones. I can't complain, I'm happy. Win or lose, Dewey had found his salvation in boxing, and boxing had given him the strength to embark on a much bigger fight, the fight of his life, the fight for his freedom. It began with a retrial in 1990. We were very optimistic. Everyone in the courtroom when the jury went to retire had said they'll be back in a half an hour with a not guilty verdict. The district attorney was nervous and quickly came to Dewey with a deal. If he admitted his guilt, he'd walk out of court a free man. 
But boxing had transformed Dewey. And in that moment, he made a choice. His life would be defined by how he lived it, not where he spent it. I'll die before I tell you I did it. I can't, I can't. You're not gonna make me say something I didn't do. Everything that I stood for, everything would have been taken away from me, everything. I can't live with you or anybody else telling me that I killed an old woman. So what do I do? What do I do as a man, you know? For Dewey, his integrity is the most important thing, and I don't think Dewey would have been able to look himself in the mirror if he had confessed to something he hadn't done. That choice would cost him. When somehow, with even less evidence than the first trial, Dewey was convicted again and sent back to prison. But in Sing Sing, the fighter was defiant. To Dewey Bozella, it was simple. The only thing to do after a knockdown was to get back up. Dewey would write to me, can we do this, can we do that? Dewey always felt that he would get out. My faith was based on having inside me that I'm getting out. He wrote Jet, Ebony, 60 Minutes. Dewey never gave up. Dewey Bozella had walked into prison all but forgotten by the world. But inside, he had made a choice to better it. He spent his days in the gym training his body and his nights in the classroom training his mind, earning bachelor's and master's degrees. He also married his girlfriend, Trina, all in an effort to leave the past behind. But life behind bars could make that very difficult, never more so than the day Dewey went to the prison chapel and came face to face with the man who'd murdered his brother. First thing I did was look him in the eyes and I asked him the question. I said, why'd you murder my brother? His words were to me. I was 15 years old, it was something that just happened. Right then and there, I forgave him. Even though Dewey was behind bars, he woke up every day loving life. He would come down on a visit, smiling, laughing. That was just Dewey. I learned to take myself from the bad position and make it a better position, because if I hold on to it, I'm just gonna burn with, with hatred. I ain't allowed prison to make me bitter. My attitude was that I had to make myself happy. Even when his very innocence cost him a chance at parole two decades into his sentence. Parole should have been a rubber stamp, and it wasn't for the simple reason that Dewey wouldn't confess to a crime he hadn't committed. I said, Trina, I'm not telling these people I did it. If I have to die in prison, that's just the way it is. And he meant that. And that was very hard for me, because I don't want to hear that. I said, Dewey, you're not coming out of here on parole. You're going to walk out the door a free man. With Trina at his side, Dewey's determination to clear his name only got stronger. For years, he'd been writing The Innocence Project, an organization that uses DNA evidence to help the wrongly convicted. In 2003, after 20 years in prison, his persistence only grew. He wrote the same exact letter every week. I have been writing this firm since 2001, and no one had answered my letters. So here I am writing again, asking for your help. I have, for the past 26 years, been fighting to prove my innocence. Finally. Five years after his first letter, the Innocence Project took Dewey's case. And immediately, the lawyers were shocked at the injustice they discovered surrounding his two convictions. But disbelief turned to despair. 
when they learned that all the physical evidence from the case had been destroyed by police. With no DNA to work with, the Innocence Project could not continue. My heart just sunk. I knew he was innocent. I knew that if somebody just dug in there, they would find something that would overturn that conviction. The Innocence Project referred the case to a powerful law firm in New York City, where a pair of young lawyers were willing to dig in the first criminal case of their careers. We were facing incredibly long odds. We had lost files, we had dead witnesses. He needed a miracle and we needed a miracle to find something to prove that he was innocent of this 30-year-old murder. What I did was let them see through me there's hope. Never give up attitude. Dewey's attitude was contagious, and the lawyers started from scratch, re-examining every detail, reconsidering every clue. And though there was nothing leading them to believe that a meeting with this man, the lead detective in the murder, would help Dewey, they met with him anyway. To their astonishment, Arthur Regula handed over a copy he'd kept of the 30-year-old case file, the only file he had taken home with him when he retired. He asked me why I kept the case file, and I, I told him I figured someday someone would come knocking on my door. There were certain things in the case that made me have doubts whether Dewey Pizzella was actually involved. Just could never throw it away. This was big, this was important. This is the connection that we're looking for. This is finally something that can get him out. And so all of a sudden, we had evidence showing that the people's witnesses were lying, that another suspect actually had confessed to the crime, and the prosecution had hid both pieces of information from Dewey for 30 years. For more than three decades, Dewey had been labeled a murderer, kept behind bars for a crime he did not commit. All the while, he'd maintained his innocence. And now, the new evidence uncovered offered hope that the scales of justice might finally weigh in his favor. On a rainy day in October 2009, Dewey was brought to the same Poughkeepsie courtroom where he'd been convicted twice before. Until I hear it, then that's when I believe it. We've been through it all. The journey has to come to an end. It's our position that the matter must be dismissed in the interest of justice, and the people so move to dismiss the indictment. Uh, Mr. Pazella is ordered to be released immediately. I said, it's finally over. It's finally over. In my heart, what I was saying is, you're my husband, and you go home with me today. After all the years, all the way to the age of 51, I finally got my name cleared. From the moment he walked out onto the courthouse steps, he was not angry and he wasn't going to try to uh, uh, point fingers. I'm glad that it's over with. Whatever the prosecution and, and, and the police did, I'm, I'm going to let it go because I got to move on with my life. If I worry about what they did, I'm never going to get anywhere where I need to go. All those years behind bars, Dewey had been preparing for this day, the day he would be free free to live the life he'd fought so hard for. Today, Dewey Bozella fights for a new generation, 
using his skills as a boxer to teach the values and the discipline the sport taught him in prison. He also holds on to a dream, to get back one small piece of the life that was taken from him. He wants just one fight as a free man. It'll be easy to train for, considering he's already won the most difficult fight he'll ever face. A man's reputation is everything if he's fighting for something that's of a worthy cause. My worthy cause was my freedom. I'm That awesome. So my question is, how hard will you fight for your name? Dewey could have gotten out of prison 10 years before if he would have just said, I did it, and he didn't. He was going to do whatever it took to clear his name. He, was, he, he just was simply not going to give up. How many of us give up and succumb to sin or we allow things in our life that we know are going to destroy our name? Especially those of us who name the name of Jesus, because can I tell you something? Jesus is the heavyweight champion of freedom. He's fought the battle for us so that we can walk a new life in a new way. That's what, that's, that's what he did for us. So I want to look at two guys who fought for a new name, who fought against the culture, who fought against the crowd to get a new name. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 29. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, Jesus. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd sternly told them to be quiet, to shut up. I mean, listen, we don't want to hear it. But they cried out all the more, just like Dewey. Dewey was not going to back up. Son of, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And that's how we be began this message. What is it that you want God to do for you? What is it, the name that you want an angel to call you? What do you want your, re your, your reputation to reflect? What do you want your life to be about? What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Lord, we want our eyes to be open, move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Now, it said that these two blind men that they called out, or they cried out, krazo in the Greek, which means to agonize, or to the rantings of a crazy person, or a woman in the midst of giving birth. These guys were shouting out so that they would not be missed in the midst of the crowd. Because see, the crowd didn't care, and the crowd never cares. Does that make sense? The crowd never cares what you're facing. They don't. They did everything they do. They sternly told them, stop it, be quiet, chill out. Nobody cares about you. You, you simply don't matter. And young adults, you have to realize what's happening. I've lived long enough to watch our culture change. Culture is trying to convince us that faith is for the closet. Keep your faith at home. Keep your faith in church. Faith is a private matter. Jesus died publicly. Faith is not a private matter. He said, if you profess me, if you confess me before men, if you will go public for me, then I will go public before my heavenly Father for you. But if you deny me, I will deny you. God is calling us out of the shadows. He is calling us into the middle of the cultural battle for the soul of America and the souls of men and women, boys and girls, and the people that we love. Does that make sense? It's your choice. You can be quiet and ordinary, or you can be quite extraordinary. Completely up to you. But the question is this, what do you want? 
What name do you want to be called? What does it look like? At Faith Promise, we're going for it. We're going all the way, man. We are not slacking up. We're we're all about some BHAGs in the house. Big, hairy, audacious goals. We believe it. We're asking God. Super Bowl Sunday, another record attendance. And tons of people getting saved. See, the proud crowd who was following Jesus, they missed the miracle. and They missed what was going on. And just like Dewey, no, no doubt after 30 years of trying to clear his name, people said, just know the black dude in jail. Come on, you know you're guilty. Shut up and leave it alone. But he was not going to be missed. Just like these two blind men crying out in the midst. We are not gonna, we're not going to shut up. And Jesus asks them what seems to be an absolute crazy question. Here's two blind dudes crying for Jesus. Obviously, they want their sight, right? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What is it that you want? And I believe that he's asking all of us that question. What is it that you want from God? What name do you want to be called? What kind of favor do you want in your life? What is it that you are looking for? Again, it's just what God does. He, he asks people, are, and, and, and so we've got to know this is what we want. Can I tell you, I know what I want at Faith Promise. This year, I'm going to see us average 8,000 in attendance. This year, and we've not hit that yet. This year, I'm praying for 850 people to be saved and baptized. This year, that we lost three to five new campuses. This year, that we see the lost saved, that we see people that are trapped in chains set free. This year, that we see the greatest miraculous ministry that we've ever seen. And so I know what it looks like because I'm asking God every day, God, this is what we're that's what I'm asking you. So if God asks you, what do you want? What's your answer? What is the compelling desire that you have in 2017? Maybe you need to be healed. Maybe you want to be married. Maybe you want to get in shape. Maybe you want to get out of debt. Maybe you, maybe you want to begin serving in ministry. I don't know what, I don't know exactly what it is. But see, you need to know because you need to ask God. You need to be ready when God opens a door. See, if you don't know what you want, how can God move in power in you and through you and for you? You've got to know what you want. Do you know it? If I would say write a paragraph right now about exactly what you're believing God for in 2017, could you write it out? I know what I'm looking for personally. I know what I'm looking for in my marriage. I know what I'm looking for with my children and grandchildren. I know what I'm looking for for this congregation. Actually, I could write the paragraph what I'm asking God for you because I'm asking God that he raise gifts that he's already given you that you don't know up to the surface. I'm asking God that you achieve your fullest potential in him in 2017. I'm asking God to let his favor fall on you and you fall so in love with God that this world grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm asking God to take you, if you're in debt, get you out of debt. I'm asking God that every single one of us would be so generous that we would give to God. That's what I'm asking. So you gotta know. But listen, if you don't know what you want, then don't complain if you don't get it. See, that's what we do. We gripe and complain and whine, and we don't even know what we want from God. What do you want? Master, we want to regain our sight. He shows up to, Sol- to Solomon. Solomon has is, is inaugurated the king, and he shows up to Solomon, and, and he says, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon knew exactly. He said, I, man, I don't even know how to go out and come in. 
how am I supposed to judge and lead this great people of yours? I need your wisdom. And God said, hey, not only am I going to give you wisdom, you'll be the smartest man that ever lived, but you didn't ask for long life and wealth. You'll be the most wealthiest man that's ever lived. I'm going to give you way more than you even ask for. Nehemiah goes to the king, and he's burdened because the walls of Jerusalem are torn down. And the king says, what do you want me to do for you? And Nehemiah says, I'm so glad you brought that up because I have a list. You need to be ready. You need to know what you want. These two blind guys, they were clear. Lord, we want you to open our eyes. We want to regain our sight. We're sick of being beggars on the side of the road. We want to take care of our own lives. But we can't do that as long as we're blind. So we're asking you to open our eyes to make us be able to see. And boy, they were not going to be denied worthy. And Jesus, moved with compassion, healed both of those guys. You know what a lot of people, it seems to me they're doing for God? They're protecting God by not asking God for anything big. Well, if God doesn't come through, God will look bad, so I'm not going to ask God for anything big. Have you ever read the Bible? (laughs) Do you realize the character, the nature, the holiness, the exalted position that our God is in this very second? Do you realize right now, above all that there is, there is God exalted on the throne of the universe? Surrounding him is a sea of angel and a a sea of of crystal glass and a river coming out from underneath his throne. And around him are cherubim and seraphim, and they are these massive angelic beings, and they are falling down, and they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are worshiping. God is exalted, man. His glory fills it. Man, I want to... Listen... I want to see that. I want to smell the incense on the altar. I want to, I want to be engulfed in the glory that is, that is God's. The Shekinah, I, that's what I want. Are you, does that make sense? See, our God is big. You don't have to protect God by asking God for small things. But now the crowd, sternly rebuking them, shut up and quit calling for Jesus. You're just too blind, dude. You're just a black dude stuck in the prison system. We know you're probably guilty anyway. So just shut up and stay out there, Dewey. Hey, you two blind guys, just shut up, man. Listen, the crowd is always there to rebuke you when you're ready to ask God for some big things. There are always people around you that are ready to pull you back. I used to say it all the time. You know, when I was in Louisiana, we had guys that went crabbing. And they would say, you know what? Pastor, once you catch one crab, you never have to put the lid on the trap anymore because one crab will never let another crab out of the box. And many of us are surrounded by people that are crabs holding us down. They don't believe God for big things, and they want to shut you up, and you're believing God for big things. Can I tell you, I could not list for you all the pastors that have told me how crazy that I was. Can I tell you how many guys three decades ago said you can't have a worship service if it doesn't come out of the Baptist hymnal? Because that's what God sings out of, the Baptist hymnal. (laughs) Broadman, Holman hymnal. If it's written after 1972, it's demonic. I mean, you got to sing the old stuff. I mean, I said, you can't do that, Chris. You can't have a guitar on the stage. A what? Them guitars. Oh. Yeah, can't put drums in. That's how Africans bring up demons. You can't bring that in the church. So what, are you stupid or what? What are you thinking? 
Have you read about the worship in heaven? Have you read where David laid out all the instruments and the people of God celebrated? Or, or have you ever read the Bible with an open mind? Come on. When they said, hey, hey, you can never go multi-site. You can't build a campus and, and be preaching on a screen. Nobody will do that. 3,000 people are right now this weekend. Right now. This weekend. Come on. And the last service at Pellissippi, they watched the message on the screen. I had some sign of stuff, and so I didn't come to the first service. I just told, our, our, I just told Dylan, hey, I need you to run a Saturday night message on Sunday morning, the first service, and I'll try to keep it for the 10 o'clock service. And 3,000 people this weekend, this weekend. Listen, he that says it can't be done ought to get out of the way of he that's doing it. It's crazy. It's crazy. How many Christians who are supposed to be people of faith have told me it can't be done? Don't build bigger. Don't do this. Don't do that. Chris, you can't do that. Chris, you can never write a book. Chris, church can't do that. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Man, come on. Grow some faith. Amen? This is the reason, this is part of the reason for the series of February, Beauty and A Tale as Old as Time, The Beauty and the Beast of Relationships. Because the beasts of relationships are people that you're connected with that want to, are like the crowd with those blind guys trying to hold them down. And so we're going to talk about how do you have the right people on your team? Do you want to achieve everything God has called you to do? Do you want to, do you want to achieve it? I Man, listen, you've got to have the right team. Because I'm telling you, next Sunday there are two Super Bowls. Sunday morning, I'll beat Zach, and then Sunday night, not sure who's going to win. But... But listen, can I tell you who's going to win Sunday night? It's not the greatest superstars. It'll be the best team. We had Peyton. I know he's the fourth part of the Trinity in East Tennessee. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> I, I like him too. Not that much. But when Peyton was here, we never won a national championship, remember? And Peyton left and all the superstars went to the NFL. The next year, what did we do? We won a national championship. See, it's about, it's, so you'll never, you're not going to win your championship if you don't have the right people. So you don't want to miss a message. You've got to have the right people. Everything in life that's great is about relationships. And everything that's in life sucks is about relationships. And so we're going to talk about how do you have the right people on your team. Does this make sense? But understand, if you're going to, if you're going to look for some BHAGs this year, if you're going to believe God, some big, hairy, audacious goals, if you're going to believe, the crowd will rebuke you. They will tell you, shut up and sit down. Come on. Matter of fact, let me make a statement. If you're listening, say I am. If nobody's rebuking you from your, for your prayers, they may not be big enough. They just may not be big enough. Now, we're praying for 850 the baptisms this year, but you know what? In Pentecost, they baptized 3,000 people the first day. I can't wait to the year that we baptize Pentecost. To have 3,000 people in a, in a year. So, man, I'm, we're just looking for it. We're looking for it. Listen, the, and you say, but wait a minute, Chris. Wait, 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 Pastor. Listen, I'm nobody. You don't understand. I'm nobody. No, I got that. Neither am I. If you read my journal, you'll get it. Man, I am insignificant. Almost every day I write a mathematical formula in my journal. Chris must decrease and Christ must increase. I mean, it's just, it's just every day. I realize John 15, without him, I can't do anything, but with him, I can do all things. I got that. See, God doesn't do great things for me because I deserve it. God doesn't do great things for faith promise because we deserve it. God does great things for us because God is great. 
And God, listen, God will, listen, God will move in your life, not because you deserve to get for God to move, but because God is good. And he wants to move in your life. Don't you want to bless your kids? Don't you just want to do great things for your kids? No, that's the way God is. I'm connect, man, I was at a Corvette show years ago. Micah was 15 years old and 11 months, and I bought a Corvette for him at, a, at the show. I sold a car we had built, and I bought another car. All my friends said, you are crazy for giving that boy a Corvette. Guilty as charged, okay. But can I tell you something? The more, I couldn't wait for that 11-hour drive home from Pennsylvania. And for the last hour, I did all that I could to see all those men in that truck not see me weeping because I couldn't wait to give that gift to my son. That's how God is. He can't wait to bless his children. Does this make sense? Do you know what you want? Do you know what you're asking God for? Do you, do you realize? And man, I told the boys, I said, I want this yard cleaned up when I get back. So it was, it was nighttime. The yard wasn't cleaned up. It was Sunday. I was driving back. So Zach said, you know, and Michelle said, hey, your dad gets home. The yard's not cleaned up. There'll be hell to pay. So they got flashlights cleaning the yard up. And I pull in, and they're out there with five-gallon buckets and flashlight. And Zach, and Micah said, what does dad have? And Zach said, are you crazy? You know dad bought you a Corvette. You know dad got that for you. See, some of us are like, Micah, what, what is that blessing? Who's that for? It's for you, child of God. It's for you that was adopted into the family of God. It's for you that God wants to bless your life. Come on. Do you know what you want? Do you know what you want? They'll always be haters. They'll always be the crowd. Come on. That They don't have a faith in a big God. They'll always be there. They'll always, when I said we're going to reach 10,000 people in this decade of dreams, folks said, you're crazy. We're right on track, baby. We may do it early. We, 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 we may. See, I know what I want. Man, again, I know what I want for you. Man, you know, I'm praying. Listen, I, what would it be like if everybody, that, if every single promiser served at Faith Promise Church? What if people were lined up to serve? Hey, it's my weekend to serve preschool. Come on. Is there not one more spot? Oh, come on. Let me serve. Come on. Could, couldn't I get out there? Hey, listen. I know, it's, I know it's raining, and I know it's sleeting, and it's 12 degrees, but it's my weekend to serve in the parking lot. Come on. Let me get out there. There's no more room. You have to wait till next week. Oh, man, I want to serve God. Come on. What would it be like lining up? What would it be like if everybody said, I can't wait to get church, give my tithe to God. I love to be generous, and I love to give to my God. What would it be like? Man, if people forgot, came back the next week, hey, listen, I forgot to give my tithe. That's not a pass here. I brought that back this week. What would it be like if we're all generous and trust and believe God? What would it be like if not a promiser was in debt? What would it be like if all of us had the favor of God on our, on our lives? Are y'all with me? He says, is that crazy talk? Not for somebody that believes our God is big. It's not. See, our God is too big for small dreams. Our God is too big for little vision. He just is. And some of us are in a desperate situation. We, we really don't want to be in a desperate situation. We're in a desperate situation. But guess what? Desperate situations drive us to our knees, and there we believe God to come through. This is what I believe. We got record, I believe there's a record of attendance this weekend. And there's some people that are ready to give their hearts to Jesus. Come on, man. I love it. Matter of fact, right now, the angels are passing out the party hats and the kazoos. They're striking up the band because somebody's about to give their heart to Jesus. Are you with me? 
God's about to do business. Miracles are about to happen. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're ready to turn your life over to Jesus, pray this prayer with us. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that we're separated. And I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I have lived for myself, and now I will live for you. Write my name in your book. Give me a new name. Call me out. Call me up to a greater life to honor you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, somebody give God some praise. Wow. Wow, God is up to something.